Hey everyone, I'm excited to announce that I have launched my professional website. It's davidoleary.ca. And the website's going to be home to all of my views and opinions. So whether that's a, an article, a podcast, a video, a recording of a presentation I've delivered, uh, you'll be able to find it all there. And there are two things I'd point out. One is that I'm available to do professional speaking, uh, keynote presentations, panel discussions at your conference. So if you're holding one and you're looking for somebody to open the hearts and minds of your audience to new ways of using their money to align with their values and have the type of impact they want on the world, let me know. That is my specialty. So this could be a conference for financial advisors who are working with clients, and I do a lot of these types of conferences speaking to advisors about how they can work with their clients to align their money and their values. Uh, But also it could be for corporate engagements, and you're looking for somebody to speak to your employees about how they can use their time, talent, and treasure in ways to make the world a better place. Uh, That is my focus. Second, I would point out that when you visit, uh, you should receive a pop-up that will allow you to subscribe to my mailing list there. And this is really a list of people for people who are interested in impact investing and want to be alerted when there's new podcast episodes, when there's articles. Um, I'll share event invitations, um, launches of new impact investments in Canada, anything that just sort of helps create awareness and uh, you want to follow along, I'll be sending what I think would be interesting information to this group of people. On that note, I'm happy to share uh, three conferences I'll be speaking at over the next several weeks. First up is MindPath's 7th Annual ETF Conference. There I'm going to be introducing financial advisors to how they can use impact investing to grow their practices. Uh, That conference runs October 27th and 28th, so next week. You can find it by visiting www.mindpath.ca. I'll also be speaking at the Inside ETFs Canada conference November 9th and 10th, talking about responsible investing and how advisors can use that in their practice. You can Google Inside ETFs Canada Conference for more info. And lastly, I'll be speaking at Morningstar UK's annual investment conference. I'll be speaking there to advisors about how they can adapt their practices to thrive in a world that is so rapidly changing. That event is particularly relevant for obviously those uh, listening from the UK, and that will be November 16th and 17th. You can Google MIC UK 2020 for more info. Also, I just want to give a big shout out to Jason Watt. Thank you for leaving a five-star review on Apple iTunes for the podcast. It really means a lot to me, to you, and to everyone who's done it so far. It really helps the podcast surface in the search results. And this is the whole point of this podcast, is to reach people and help them let them know what opportunities are out there to use their money for good. So thank you. With that out of the way, let's get on to the podcast. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. I'm your host, David O'Leary. I'm a reformed free market capitalist who now spends his time trying to harness the power of the markets for good. And I started this podcast for anyone who wants to join me as I explore the world at the intersection of purpose and profit. Welcome to the 20th episode of the Impact Investing Podcast. Most people don't automatically look to the public sector for the latest and greatest innovations. However, when it comes to the world of social finance, the public sector is in many ways leading the private sector. 
In our last episode, we explored the world of blended finance, where governments are finding innovative ways to use public funds to drive private sector capital into projects that achieve impact. And they're doing this precisely because private sector capital is lagging behind. And we're going to discuss another prominent example of this public sector innovation on today's episode. Today's guests join us to discuss the work they're doing to support grassroots women's movements in the global south to advance gender equality. What's particularly interesting about their work is both the manner in which they're tackling gender equality, but also the origin of how their organization got started. The Equality Fund was seeded in 2019 by a $300 million contribution from Global Affairs Canada in a first-of-its-kind initiative to stand up a new type of entity that could use this government contribution and to not spend it on programs and services as is typical in international development, but rather to create an entity that would become not only financially sustainable, but also catalyze an even larger contribution of private sector investment and philanthropic capital. The folks working at the Equality Fund now have the audacious goal to build this financially sustainable organization that leverages both charitable and investment models to crowd in even more capital. And the idea is to crowd in multiples of the initial contribution and then use all of that funding and financing to improve the lives of vulnerable women and girls across the global south. Clearly, it's no easy task. Today's guests are Beth Horanyuk and Bonnie Foley-Wong. Beth brings more familiarity with the programmatic efforts of the Equality Fund, while Bonnie leads the organization's gender lens investing efforts. I'm excited to talk to Beth and Bonnie today to hear more about their progress made to date and the vision they have heading to the future. So, Beth and Bonnie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. I've been excited to do this podcast for a while now. This is a still fairly new endeavor, and uh, uh, there's a lot I know you've got on your plates collectively. And so having had a little bit of time to uh, get more things in place allows for maybe a better podcast. So I'm glad that we haven't rushed it, but it does feel like a good time to be to be having it uh, having it now. So thanks a lot. So maybe can we start by giving an introduction, uh, if each of you can introduce yourselves and kind of your role within the Equality Fund? Sure, sounds good. So I'm Bonnie Foley-Wong. I'm Head of Investment Strategy at the Equality Fund, and I am leading all things re- related to our gender lens investing strategy um, from connecting our investment activities to our big, bold mission to advance gender equality. And it's really focused on you know, how can we direct our investment dollars to prioritize the rights, perspectives, and needs of women and girls? Um, And, you know, also, uh, you know, investment, as you know, is really focused on generating returns. And so we have this, this dual aim of putting our dollars to work in our investment activities, but also using the investment returns to fund grant making to women's rights organizations in the global south. Awesome. And we're going to unpack, there's a lot in what you just said, and we're going to unpack that through the the, the podcast. Um, But thank you, Bonnie, for that. And Beth? 
So my name is Beth Voronyuk, and I am the policy lead at the Equality Fund. So my position generally involves talking about what it is that we're doing and how we're trying to, to do it and why supporting women's rights feminist movements is, is so important in the, in the global South. Partly because one of, as, as Bonnie was, was, was saying, one of the things we're trying to do is be bigger than, than, than just what we can do. So it's really important. We're, we're trying to test a concept. We're trying to document what we're doing so that others can learn from it. So we're, we're, interested in having more uh, feminist funding, more a bigger um, uh, flow of resources moving to feminist organizations in, in the global south. So my job is to try to keep a hand on everything that we're everything that we're doing, big job, but then also talking to governments about this, talking um, into multilateral organizations and talking to other organizations working in the international development sector. Awesome. Thank you for those the, that introduction. Can we maybe start? Um, and Beth, since you're, you're already you're already chatting here, uh, how do you how do you guys define a feminist agenda? Oh, Dave, that's a that's a great question, and we often don't have a have a, a, a three word definition of a feminist agenda. But we work with organizations that are looking to change social norms, looking to build greater uh, equality among women and men, um, but in a very uh, a diverse way that recognizes all the all the differences among. Um, um, among women and girls. So we also do, and we support a lot of groups that work on LGBTQ issues as well, because that's part of our definition of, of feminism. So we're really trying to unpack power structures, build longer term change that can have, um, uh, you know, better, more equal societies, economies, political structures, uh, more sustainable economies for all. So not a clear definition, right. but one that we struggle all the time and one that we, we recognize that we also work with organizations that don't always have the exactly the same definition. So we often talk about feminist movements in the plural or definitions of feminisms because we know that it's a very diverse movement. Right. And do you, like, would you say, is there anything that you would say in terms of your definition of, of feminism and, and the agenda that you have that maybe as a distinguishing feature of the equality fund that, you know, maybe, maybe not entirely unique. Others may share it, but maybe kind of distinguishing. It's not either particularly common or it kind of sets you apart from others who maybe have a more traditional kind of definition or agenda. One of the key elements for us is that we really believe in the power of collective action. And we really believe that organizations led and run by the people who represent will be the motor of driving change. So this is one of the key elements for us is that we support um, organizations, uh, feminist movements. We don't just work on programs that benefit women and girls or that have uh, women and girls as beneficiaries, but we really want to invest in um, organizations so that they can become more sustainable. They're the ones that know their realities best. They know what works in a rural village in, in Ghana or what works in Mexico City on how to 
build more equitable societies. We don't know how to do that. So our very much key to our approach is that they are in the lead and uh, our job is to find them the support and the resources that they need to, to, to put their agendas into practice. And one of the things that I've observed, which is, which is I think, very um, special and powerful about the Equality Fund is the bringing together of different groups and stakeholders. We have lots of different partners, and certainly, certainly on the investment side, we're bringing in a, a myriad of investment partners, but also marrying it with um, representatives from feminist movements. And so these are sometimes unlikely partners, like they've never necessarily been at the same table at the same time. And, you know, one of the things that was um, expressed to me when I first joined is we're all on our own feminist journey. We, we, as individuals, we're all expressing our feminism differently. And so we are trying to create a fairly big tent to include all these different perspectives because in the past, these perspectives have been siloed and it's probably been one of the reasons why we have the challenges that we do that we're facing in the world. So um, one of the um, underlying values, I would say, is this, this idea of diversity and inclusion, you know, even in, within that concept of feminism. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we talk about multiple visions, feminisms in the, in, in the plural, um, so that there is the space to explore and exchange. And, and we realize that there's the strength in diversity. Yeah, I mean, it, it strikes me. This is this is um, what, part of what you're you're um, touching on. There is is true in a lot of a lot of uh, I think uh, respects when it comes to traditional philanthropy and impact investing. Is that it's kind of it's done for or to a group of vulnerable people rather than with them and including them and or having them be kind of the the protagonists and the <laughs> In, in in it and and that seems problematic yeah, if we're trying to really understand how to what what challenges they face and how to best to solve them it just seems like for a long time it's kind of missing the obvious which is like why don't we just ask them and speak with them and include them rather than trying to spend all these resources theorizing and you know fig- trying to figure it out from a pers- when we don't have the perspective um, so I love, uh, anyway, I love that that's kind of the, one of the distinguishing features anyway of, of, of the approach. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the organizations that are going to stay and, and be there, right? And I think this is one of the things that people are, are come to realize uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we can't get on planes to go talk to people. Um, right. But these organizations, right? They're there. On they're the, the ones. That's right. They're the ones who are pivoting to deal with the, the the pandemic. They're they're the ones who are responding in innovative ways. Um, and so, really, it's 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 been a really eye opening moment for a lot of people that these are the organizations that will be the backbone of a response and a recovery to COVID because they're there now. And if they um, have the resources, if they have the support, they'll, they'll be the ones who are able to, to, to work with their communities going forward. Okay. Uh, that's, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, uh, Bonnie, 
if you were going to explain to a lay person who is not in the philanthropy or impact investing space, how would you describe the equality fund? What is it? like? Yeah. And it's a great question because there are so many different things we're included under one umbrella mm-hmm. um, on the investment because it is the integration of three uh, pillars, programs as we call them. So there is a philanthropy program where we're trying to encourage uh, philanthropists to prioritize gender equality um, and direct their giving to to support our grant making program, which is the the second um, program, and you know as we mentioned earlier, the grant making program is is focused on um, supporting women's rights organizations and feminist movements in the global south. And to Beth's point, um, you know, it, it's not for us to decide. You know what are what are the the key problems and the and the um, top solutions to those problems that uh, people are facing on the ground, but to try to fund organizations and enable them to um, step into their leadership shoes and and self lead in terms of those solutions. And the third program, which is the newest, is the investment side. And so we, uh, as part of a collective and consortium. Uh, have been tasked with stewarding a $300 million contribution from the Canadian government. And this is sort of the key piece in terms of the long-term sustainability of our programs and funding streams. The idea is to be able to generate our own sources of of funding for the work that we're doing. Within the the Equality Fund, uh, within the investment side, there's actually several activities in terms of how we're going to be um, leveraging our investment dollars for this change um, because it's not just it requires um, strong advocacy campaigns and you know shifting policy uh, because we're, we're trying to shift a whole system so our investment dollars are alone aren't going to affect the change but we need to actually be advocating, encouraging other investors to be investing in this way, utilizing gender data, um, prioritizing gender equality. Um, and there, you know, I'll be candid in that there are a lot of um, expectations and asks because there's so many different ways that we can uh, affect change because traditionally investing has been very opaque right? I mean, you even asked it in your question, you know, how do we explain this in, in layperson's terms? It's, it's tough because it's a really complex, complicated system. Complicated probably intentionally, and it's going to take a bit of work to try to unpack that, um, you know, take a look at all the different areas where we can affect change and start to prioritize. Mm-hmm. Beth, would you have anything to add to that? Just to elaborate a little bit more on on this independence model, because we have had many organizations working to fund different programs internationally. And sometimes whether they get support or not from the Canadian government depends on the government of the day. Right. Or or um, you could have different challenges raising money from Canadian philanthropists or average Canadian uh, people who give 
$25 a month. We, we'll see now what impact, for example, COVID has on, on fundraising. We've seen that estimates for some charities, it will go down 20 to 30% in terms of, of donations. So there's a certain fragility, right? That, mm-hmm. that, or that, that can, that's there. And so one of the really exciting things about the Equality Fund, as Bonnie was explaining, is how do we establish our, our core independence so that we can stand up, we can keep doing our work it may be at different scales but even if political winds shift or even if economics shift that there's still hopefully um will will be an ability of the fund to keep functioning um, even through difficult times and that we haven't seen before and that's really really exciting as a as a model as a feminist organization um to to, to be able to work in this way Awesome. And, and what might be helpful is just to give a bit of the background as to, you know, how we got here, because the, the Equality Fund's roots are um, with an organization called Match International Women's Fund, which uh, was a charitable nonprofit that focused on grant making. So the Equality Fund's roots are in that. Um, we have partnered with Toronto Foundation on the investment side to steward this $300 million portfolio. And the, the long-term goal is to have that $300 million, you know, as assets of this charitable nonprofit, which is a huge sum. And, and um, I think it's probably uh, precedent-breaking, um, record-breaking in terms of a, a women's fund having that amount of, of money to steward as an investment portfolio. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's it's not going to happen overnight. It's it. Um, we have a a plan to build up the investment capacity. That's that's part of my role to build the investment acumen within the equality fund to be able to um, to be an investor, invest it a hundred percent with a gender lens. And you know the the initial years, it's focused on having you know a fairly diversified portfolio, not not too dissimilar from how a foundation might might steward their their money. Um, but to give us this platform to fund grant making long term, to innovate on the investment side and really start to shift how people um, think about investment and capital and money, who's benefiting from it, who's making the decisions around it. Um, but it, it does all start with one place of, you know, working with partners and having this, this money to steward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, I, I think you're right. I'm going to maybe unpack the, the, um, the kind of origin story a little bit, because I think it's, it, it, it's interesting. So you, you've mentioned the, you know, both mentioned the contribution from the Canadian government. So um, if I'm going to sort of distill this, the, the government, you know, the Canadian government has a feminist agenda. They wanted to, um, you know, they do, and they regularly fund um, uh, organizations and programs that are working to improve the lives of vulnerable women and girls uh, in the global South. And this was sort of a unique way to go about, um, uh, you know, using their dollars and leveraging it, you know, to, greater impact, I think was, is the, you know, is the idea behind it. Where did the, where did the, where did the idea, A, do you know, like, where did the idea originate? Was it the government who came up with the idea? Did somebody approach the government with the idea? Bonnie, you mentioned uh, Match, and I think it was Jess uh, Tomlin uh, who uh, 
to run a match international. Like, I'm, I'm just wondering where did the idea originally come from? And then it was the, 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 um, uh, this is a vault, like there's a whole collection of, you mentioned the consortium. So you got a collection of organizations who have come together to, to affect all this. I'm just curious for the history and kind of how it's evolved up to this point. Mm-hmm. Like all good innovations, it's, it's like a confluence of ideas and a convergence of ideas from different yeah. sources. So certainly on the equality fund side, um, Jess Tomlin and Jess Hussein, who are the co-CEOs, um, along with the um, third founder, uh, Sophie Gupta, uh, had this idea around directing uh, capital towards organizations that were, uh, you know, led by by women, funding businesses run by women, um, you know, really putting that gender lens at the forefront in terms of an investing strategy and, um you know, having those investment dollars benefit women and girls directly, but also that there would be returns and gains produced from those investments that could also in turn benefit women and girls. Um, in parallel, my understanding is the government, um, the branch of government that has traditionally funded development assistance or, or international aid also wanted to explore models where um, you know, funding sources for that aid could be more sustainable um, and more focused. And so, you know, from, from my understanding, this predated me joining the Equality Fund, there was a call um, for proposals by the government of Canada um, and a very um, dynamic and um, uh, sort of proposal process where, uh, you know, I, 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 this is actually how I heard of... of um, this initiative, Partnership for Gender Equality, in the first instance, because I think every impact investor um, that I knew of was, you know, paying close attention to this opportunity. Um, I have a lot of colleagues and friends in the space, and I think, you know, everyone I knew had teamed up with uh, a different organization to to try to unlock this. And, the, you know, there's, there's so many innovative solutions out there, um, so many challenges to be solved, uh, that, you know, there was a, a lot of attention paid to this by, by the impact, impact investing community, um, not just in Canada, but also abroad. Yeah. And so it, it was, it was after a, um, competitive, uh, request for proposal process that the equality fund team was selected. And, you know, we, we were part of a collective of, um, Beth can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was 11 organizations in total, yes. including, um, you know, organize and, and Beth will know more closely, but including organizations uh, in the global South on the ground, um, but also uh, investment partners. Um, and so my work is more focused on the investment side. So I can, I can speak to the partners that we're working with, which includes Toronto foundation, RBC Capital Markets, um, who's leading our public markets strategy, and Calvert Impact Capital, which is one of the leading impact investment um, firms in the U.S., who is leading our private debt um, strategy. Okay. Um, 
That's great. Thank you. So, so the government has this 300 million, they go through kind of a, a, a process. It was uh, a very, you know, there were a lot of, as you say, everyone in the kind of industry was involved. Uh, or it felt like that way anyway, and in, in, uh, in a proposal in one, one form or other. Um, you know, I, I actually, you know, my work at World Vision, we were part of a, a consortium as well that, that, that bid on, on this. So I'm also familiar with the, and it was a, it was a pretty wild process of just, you know, it felt like a bit of musical chairs for a little while because the, the government kind of put this request for proposal out there and it had different stages to it, but you, you sort of had to get a, 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 a bid in and find partners and lots of conversations going on. What are the right combinations of organizations because this draws on such a wide variety of capabilities there wasn't a single organization in the world that could that could execute this um which kind of speaks to the challenges that we face in the world like this is what i find really fascinating about this because that's exactly the point like no one organization actually has eyes and ears and experience in every capacity like it is a team effort um, I think even, you know, with the global pandemic right now, like we have to take a more collective approach to things. But, you know, that's, that's not something that should be that unusual. I think it, we have the human propensity is to actually team up and help each other. So um, it's, it's one of the things that I love about the Equality Fund model, this, this bringing together of different organizations with different strengths and perspectives and skill sets, because we're not going to solve these big challenges on our own. So one of the, the challenges then that we, we face is that we totally um, want to build, as Bonnie was saying, this, this big tent, but people don't often speak the same language. Right, that they come from different perspectives, they come from different histories and starting points, and there's a real potential that people could talk past each other. Um, so one of the uh, challenges, but also really exciting parts of what we're trying to do was how do we create spaces? How do we create opportunities so people can come together and have these ideas collide in a really constructive way? Uh, not in a destructive way where people want to pick up their toys and go home, um, but in a, in a way where yes, we have this, these, we have these common goals. So, so how do I understand you? How do you understand me? And how do we build this together? Because it's not automatic, and it it it's not um, when you have eleven different organizations coming to the table. That's a lot of trust building and relationships and different kinds of negotiations that you have to go through to to try to make something that's bigger than the sum of all the parts. Yeah, I, I describe it as even within organizations that are trying to now, you know, think, you know, are used to doing, a, 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 you know, one thing versus another. So say, for instance, you take a charity that's now looking at using capital and uh, you know, impact exploring impact investing, or you take an investment firm that's looking at trying to make positive impact. I mean, there's there are different different ways of thinking about the world. The, the vocabulary is different, um, and so you're building these what I'd call kind of institutional synapses between groups that don't traditionally work together and need to figure out a way to communicate. And it's similar to kind of I'm not a, a, a not an expert in in kind of the brain, but you know, different, you, know, you can build these, um, these connections between parts of the brain through practice and repetitive habit. And, 
you know, build these connection ways. And it's the same thing. And so we're, because social finance as a, as a field is so, so new and so young, it's not a surprise that it's challenging to start, right? It's going to be really hard and it's going to, we're going to have these difficult conversations and people aren't going to kind of get each other for a while. And the only way around that, it seems to me like you can choose, well, we don't work together well and we don't fit, or you just choose to work, work, work it out and build those connections, those synapses, because the, the, the potential is so great. If you can, if, if we can harness the different aspects and, and different groups coming together to um, bring out a, a better, you know, kind of whole. So it's mm-hmm. it, that challenge is a hundred percent real. I experienced it. Yeah. it it's, it's overwhelming, but, um, but worth the effort. Yeah. And as much as I love brain science, like a, the, the analogy that I like to use, you know, I started liking it to um, joining different communities, you know, being a visitor or an immigrant to different communities, which, which I've had, a lot of experience in because I've moved around yeah. quite a lot. Um, but speaking different languages, being curious and open. And it's it's one thing as an outsider to step into community with an open mind, you know, trying to learn the language of that local community. It's another thing for that community to be open and permeable to other people coming in. Right. Um, and, and quite frankly, like I've often found myself um, an outsider to a number of different communities. I think I, you know, much to my parents' chagrin, who are immigrants to Canada, like, you know, I think I, it just kind of rubbed off on me. <laughs> um, you know, they they couldn't ever understand why I was always so curious and I would, you know, seek things out that were different, that I didn't understand, imagine things that didn't exist yet. Um, and you know, some of the most incredible experiences has where has been where I've encountered communities that, you know, are curious about me, and they try to see where the common language is. Like, it's not just it's not just me and my effort. The mm-hmm. the you know the incumbents, the folks who are in that community already, being open and curious and and willing to build new trust relationships. Like that's that's been very powerful. Hmm. Interesting. So one of our key commitments at the Equality Fund is to try to shift power closer to the groups on on the ground, right? We're really trying to move away in terms in our grant making of people in Canada deciding who gets money and and where it goes. So we're looking at at how do we shift this this power? So one of the um, initiatives we carried out over the last year was a series of global consultations with feminist activists. What were their hopes and dreams for this kind of fund? What kind of uh, would they would they like to see? And so this too has opened up this, this whole other dimension is that we're not just trying to sort out um, uh, language and, 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 visitors to communities among sort of philanthropists, um, impact investors, grant makers in, in Canada, but it's also how do we bring in those voices and how do we listen to, to them? And so that's also been another piece in trying to, to, to build something new and something, something different as well. Hmm. I love that. So just to, 
make sure kind of the listeners are on on the same page. So we've got the government deciding to use $300 million to get a new organization off the ground. And this new organization is going to, you know, obviously is a, you know, a focus on improving the lives of vulnerable women and girls. And, and it's going to use that money to essentially endow uh, an investment portfolio that is going to grant money on a regular basis on an, you know, regularly grant off money to fund and give cash charitable dollars to women, grassroots women's movements, you know, women on the ground trying to solve their own problems and assist them. And then you've got the investment dollars and some portion of that. And we'll talk a little bit, dive into this deeper, Bonnie, when we get into the investment side, but some portion of that investment dollars is going to be public market securities, you know, responsible investments in traditional stocks and bonds. And some portion of that will be impact investments that the investments themselves are making a positive impact that are um, improving the lives of, of vulnerable women and girls and potentially, you know, going into the hands of uh, women and businesses that are solving problems um, in the field. And the returns that those uh, investments spin off are, are going to be what funds, partially what funds the, um, the granting, as well as this entity will also do fundraising in traditional, traditional ways in terms of raising charitable dollars from donors. So it will be both a, a, a fundraiser charity. It will also be an investment house and, uh, and then, you know, grant, uh, you know, run programs and grant to, to, to women's uh, groups. Is that a fair, it may be over, overly reductive, but is that a fair kind of summary of what, what's going on here? Yeah, it's pretty good. And, and I would add to it that the investment portfolio will be invested with a hundred percent gender lens. Yeah. which means different things depending on the asset class, right? So public markets, private debt, private equity and venture capital, like it's, it's, it's going to be a different application of it. And then the other key thing I would mention because of the amount of money that we are trying to invest, um, we are investing more at the sort of fund and investment manager level and so at least for now, we're not contemplating directly funding businesses, but through our private debt strategy and through our private equity and VC strategy in the future, we, we intend to fund organizations, fund funds that in turn will fund um, businesses direct on the ground. So that's a key distin di um, distinction to make because I think a lot of people, you know, they see the word fund and they think, you know, how do we, how do we apply to that fund to get money for our business? But because of way, the way we're structured and just the, the amount that we're trying to put out into the market, um, we're going to be funding the organizations that are in turn funding others. Right. Right. So investing in impact funds rather than individual social enterprises or businesses. Right. That's what's contemplated at the moment. I mean, that could, that could shift. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're thinking at the moment. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so can we talk about what's the, what's the structure of this entity? So, so I think I imagine there's a few arms to it, but there, if it's, if it's both doing charitable kind of fundraising and making impact investments, I assume there's more than one sort of, legal structure or legal entity involved in the collection of you've got a for-profit like a chariot registered charity as well as a either a non-profit or a for-profit arm is that 
Well, right now the structures um, on the investment, on, sorry, on the equality fi- fund side is actually pretty straightforward. We're, we're a charitable nonprofit. Okay. Um, and then for stewarding the investment portfolio, it, it is in partnership with the Toronto Foundation. So that is, you know, really a consortium. There's there's a third party to that, um, World University Services of Canada, who is working with my grant-making colleagues around, you know, building up and, and scaling up the grant-making side. Um, but on the investment side, we've partnered with the Toronto Foundation because they they have a much longer history of, of stewarding money. They have, um, prior to this initiative, I think close to half a billion under management um, through their various funds and, and donor advised funds. Um, and so they, they are actually the ones who be um, stewarding that money in the first instance, but working closely in partnership with us. Again, with that view of transferring those responsibilities over to the equality fund, over to this charitable nonprofit in the future, um, such that it'll actually be all under one umbrella. There's a few other pieces to our, our structure around, um, you know, potentially building out affiliated companies, for-profit um, asset management companies, but that's further down the line in our plan. Right now it's really focused on, um, stewarding that 300 million in partnership with the Toronto foundation and, and because we're, we're, we're scaling up. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so again, you know, mentioning our, the predecessor organization, we, we are already planning to, to shift and move quite a, quite a larger volume of, of dollars through our grant making program. And, you know, stewarding this $300 million portfolio is, is new for the equality fund. Right. Interesting. Um, on, on that note, I'm going to, I want to talk about the granting side and then the investment side, but before we get into that, um, can you describe the kind of the governance structure and in, in particular, you know, I think it was Beth, you mentioned earlier involving, you know, uh, women and girls in the, in, in the process, like, are they, are they woven into the governance structure as well in terms of, I think you had mentioned something around representation from, from the vulnerable kind of women and girls that you're helping. Um, anyway, regardless, can you talk about kind of the governance structure of the, the organization? Yeah, and candidly, that's still a work in progress. Like one of the things that I am currently working on is um, an investment advisory council, which which I have a bit more um, influence and sort of uh, sort of freedom to to reimagine and redesign to to be more inclusive and again like there's so many opportunities for for different people to speak into our investment activities that traditionally maybe didn't have that seat at the table um and i'm still i'm 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 in the middle of that so it hasn't been um we we do have four people on our advisory council at the moment but i'm you know as we speak thinking about expanding that how do we um you know, what's, what's a fair and inclusive process to enable different voices. I have lots of ideas Um, and and like essentially including, anyhow, I I won't name them just now, but like, you know, these are folks that maybe traditionally people didn't feel like, you know, they're the recipients of, of money and funding that they shouldn't play a role in the decision-making. So I, 
you know, even in my role, like I need to be challenging those kind of assumptions and, and proposing different structures and pointing to other places where we can draw an analogy and say, well, why, why can't we do this? Um, so even the membership of this council itself, I want to try to have as being diverse and, and not just North American centric, you know, how can we have some of our, um, partners from the global South represented there. Um, one of the things that I, I go on and on about is a, a type of governance model that I learned from being on the board of the Women's Enterprise Center of BC, which is um, called the Carver Policy Governance Model. And with that, we, we regularly had roundtables ahead of our quarterly board meetings where we invited um, stakeholders under the policy governance model they're called owners but the, the the point was that you know here are the people that we're actually accountable to who, who actually care about what we're doing they might not be on the board themselves but how do we get them you know their their rightful seat at the table to for us to hear their perspective um, so I'm trying to incorporate that model, you know, either at this council level or maybe at our investment committee level. Um, again, so it's not, it's so that we structure a, a permeable kind of interaction or dialogue between, you know, people who are traditionally making investment decisions and people who are impacted by those investment decisions. Um, but yeah, our, our, we do have a structure where there is an investment committee um, that makes investment decisions uh, right now because we're partnering with with the Toronto Foundation. It's the Toronto Foundation's investment committee. Um, their model is, you know, to work with an outsourced chief investment officer, um, a firm that provides investment management services. So that's that's part of our structure as well. And even as I say this, you know. I, I can, I can, I know this language and I can see it. Um, but I also appreciate how complicated it is and how many different layers of decision making there are. Um, but it, it's, it gives us a good, robust structure for, for managing risk because there are a lot of different components to investment decisions that need to be managed. But I'm also hopeful that working with, with, with this structure that we can start to um, create different opportunities for, for dialogue and participation from, from people who aren't on these committees traditionally and aren't making those decisions traditionally. Yeah. Awesome. And as Bonnie was, was mentioning, we're in a startup or uh, we, we often refer to it as our design and build phase. And part of that is, building out a global board of directors for the Equality Fund as a whole. Uh, we're still in the process of, of consolidating the board membership, but the board will be chaired by a, a Canadian feminist leader, Joanna Kerr, who is who was the chair of the MATCH uh, International Women's Fund board and now our chair of the Equality Fund, and will be bringing on um, a feminist from the Global South to co-chair with her as a part of this co-model. And we um, there was the global recruitment call for board members. And I think the we were super happy and 
over, but overwhelmed by the number of really, really capable women from around the world who self-nominated or were nominated by other people. We had over 300 um, applic- you know, nominations to sit on the board, and we're still looking at how do we fill, I believe there's 18, we can have up to 18 board members, but we, how do we have, among those 18 spots have investment expertise, finance expertise, governance expertise, um, feminist movement expertise. And so that that board is still uh, still being constructed. Uh, hopefully by the end of the year, we might have all, all 18 or, or 16 to 18 people in place. Um, so that's going to be one of the key overarching uh, governance mechanisms for the Equality Fund as a whole, which will have a global reach and 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 input. We're looking at should there be a representative on the board from the the cohort of organizations receiving funding? Is that something? That's one of the the discussions that's happening now. Of what would that look like? Is that possible to do? How do we push ourselves on what accountability governance? And, and board structures look like are some of the things that we're wrestling with. And a, and a subset of the Equality Fund board will form an Equality Fund Investment Committee. And, a, and again, as part of our, our startup and scale up, um, this is part of, you know, ensuring that the Equality Fund builds up its capacity, builds up its processes and investment acumen. Um, for now, you know, I'm I'm very mindful that the Equality Fund Investment Committee, my investment team, that we are paying close attention to our investment strategy and ensuring that it is closely tied and, and connected to our overall mission. We're, we're the holders of that. And then, you know, building these relationships and working working with our with our partners. So it looks really complicated to begin with, but it's partly because Again, you know, bringing together different organizations with the skill sets and um, it's almost like a bit of uh, like incubation and, and there's a transition period to then getting everything under the Equality Fund umbrella. Mm. That's great. Thanks for, for that. Um, Beth, diving into the, the granting side of things, um, does can you describe kind of the the grant, the grant making strategy, if you will, um, what's the kind of idea behind it and how are you kind of going about making decisions about where money gets allocated? So when we started, there was often the assumption we were going to do grant making around particular themes, right? That like, is it violence against women that is the most urgent or is it um, food security, women working in food security, that's the most urgent or is it um, women's health? And what what came back in our initial round of consultations was that women's organizations, women's rights organizations, organizations led by LGBTQ people often work on multiple themes um, because that's what our lives are like, right? We don't have uni-focused lives. And so what the, the, the decision we made was to develop four different grant-making streams that focused on different modalities. So one is to support, the first grant-making stream is to support individual organizations. 
So we will um, provide funding to small organizations at the grassroots level, up to regional networks and women's organizations working at, at national levels. That um, will involve capacity support from the Equality Fund for some organizations. So in our current uh, grant-making portfolio, for example, we have some organizations that aren't even legally registered, right? These are women or young women often who come together to work on a particular um, theme and they have a fiscal sponsor, but they don't have a long history of receiving money. They often may have uh, very nascent accounting practices. They, you know, they often don't have an audit. Um, so there, there's a, a lot of support from the Equality Fund on how do you set up these systems? How can, uh, how can the organization build their capacity so that then they are in the position three, four years down the road to access funding from other organizations? So that's one stream that we just, we do provide the direct funding and support to individual organizations. Um, another theme, and I, because I won't go into all, all four, because that would we, we take up your whole podcast. But another another point that we heard really, really strongly from organizations is that very few um, international organizations support movement building and networking. Right. Often organization uh, funders want to fund a program where you can say in six months we immunized this many kids or we produced, you know, there's something tactile that they can touch. But what we heard from so many organizations is, look, we really need to build relationships with other organizations. If we're talking about building movements, we need to be able to sit and talk and come to shared perspectives. And no one is giving us money or very few people are giving us money to do that. So we're going to have another grant making stream that will support networks or collaborations or consortiums where a number of groups can come together to work on um, one particular issue or a campaign for two years to build those ties. It could also be that they're going to build relationships with other other movements. So, for example, there's there's cross movement um, support could possibly happen around environmental issues, where you have would have environmental activists and feminist activists coming together to do that. So our grant making is very much focusing on the kind of support uh, that's going to be offered, and how is the what's the what are the best ways that we can um, strengthen organizations, strengthen movements, so that they can um, emerge stronger from from the other from the other side. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, no, I love it. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like part of it is, is you know, is meeting, is, is considering at least the idea of like, what's not getting funded, right, by traditional donors because they, you know, because of either, you know, misunderstanding or because they have their own kind of wants and needs, like, you know, the ability to say we did this or that or, or, or define, some, you know, define some sort of, quantitative, you know, impact or outcome from having supported that. Whereas you're really thinking about what, you know, regardless of, you know, what, what we'd love to be able to, you know, talk about how many, you know, X, Y, or Z we've done. This is a need that is, is much more, you know, maybe doesn't, doesn't solve our need as a donor, but is, is highly valuable in terms of making impact. And so I, I love that that's kind of a, uh, kind of a thought, throughout all of this is where is the traditional funding falling short 
Exactly. And one of the things we've heard um, for, for over a decade is what organizations lack is core, flexible, predictable funding. Right to 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 take to build their own capacities and work on their their own agendas, and so that's the the niche that we're trying to fill, and that's the niche we're trying we're not to to move it away from being a niche to try to convince others that this is a really important way of funding. So, for example, um, there was a, a study released a, a number of years ago that looked at areas where countries had made progress on violence against women and girls. So leg legislative process, uh, uh, legis new legislation or changes in the way police address these issues. And they tried to correlate with different factors. So was it GDP? Was it the number of women elected to the parliament? And what the finding came back was actually where you're seeing progress was where you had a strong, active, independent women's movement that this was the factor that correlated the most strongly with actual progress on addressing violence against women. And so that's the kind of insight that we're trying to, to uh, build on, that, that these are the organizations that are going to drive these kinds of change. So yes, we may not be able to count the number of kids vaccinated in the short term. When you look over four years, eight years, then you are going to be seeing these meaningful social, economic, political changes that will happen when we invest in women's rights organizations and when we invest in movements. So it's that, that's our theory of change. That's our big bet in terms of grant making is that we're not going to maybe, some of the initial results are going to be, you know, strengthened organizations which, which can be a little less tangible, but then four, eight, 12 years down the road, that's when we're going to see some of these more measurable uh, changes that are going to be so, so important in, in, in driving some of the, the, the global change that we're hoping to see. And how do you go about, um, and I love that, um, it, it, there's actually, uh, so how do you go about kind of, I think you have, it sounds to me like you've, you've got to do some education of your donors, right? Like, I, as a as a you know as, as a as a as a donor myself, I've I've had to kind of work hard to get over this idea of like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I I only want to fund this or I want to fund that, and this is the type of outcome I want. So let's you know this idea of restricted you know funding is a common one because listen, I know what's best. I don't want the money to be spent on this or this or this because it's not, it's not the best use of the dollar. So I'm going to tie this and make sure that they can't spend it on anything else, and that creates a lot of all sorts of problems, um, you know, makes it a lot more difficult. And, you know, uh, so I love this idea and, Hey, we're not going to be able to define the impact in the ways that you're used to, but you need to have, I, I think if you want recurring funding and donations, you need to have a donor that understands that and is willing to be patient. So do you kind of, is there an approach on the fundraising side that kind of addresses the, that education component? Absolutely. Um, we have our, our, our colleagues in that area are working on donor journeys mm -hmm. to work with, um, identify where, where potential supporters are at now. How do they walk with us? in this in this journey how uh, how do we have these conversations on things like 
um, and it's happening throughout the charitable sector, um, what's an allowable overhead, right? Like, how do you you say to someone, actually, if, if someone says they're, they're doing this for 2% overhead, they're either... Um, they're, they're misleading their donors or they're fudging their numbers or right. they're or 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 they're doing something poorly because actually you need that uh, stewardship of the money in, in the grant making as well right you want to make sure that your money is being invested in organizations wisely so the conversations on topics like like overhead but also um how do we just like we're doing dialogues on the investment side, like like Bonnie was saying, how do we have uh, potential and existing supporters um, enter into conversations with activists working on on particular issues in in country, so that we can, so that everyone is learning as we're as we're doing this as as well, so that our supporters can hear directly from. The organization in in the the Nairobi slum that is teaching girls how to box uh, because this is a way of building self confidence and a way then of also bringing in education from on a different way and so that they can hear firsthand about the exciting things that they're they're doing and how this approach is working for them there and 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 how this can can move forward. So not easy. It, it, it's conversation. It takes time. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that we're really, really interested in. And it's one, just like we're trying to change grant making, we're trying to, as Bonnie was saying, we're trying to do new things in the investment side. We're also trying to do new things in the philanthropy side of, of opening up that space to talk about what is feminist philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um, and how how can we do it better? So that part is also a really we're we're trying to to do something new Great there program. as well. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Um, so Bonnie, switching over to the investment side of things. Um, so uh, just to again set the context, the government transfers essentially at a certain you know on a certain date. There was this shift of three hundred million dollars. Um, you're tasked with how do we use that money to both generate you know, returns and make uh, a positive impact. And, you know, the thought process you've, you've said is, you know, we're, we're largely going to invest in, in funds. So these are you know, handover money to other professional managers who will, you know, pick the individual investments um, that will both generate a return and, and uh, positive impact. But, you know, I think there's a number of challenges uh, that that go with that. I mean, one is just the on the impact investment side alone, you just couldn't deploy three hundred million dollars of of capital in gender focused impact funds, right? Like, I just don't think there's enough even capacity, even if you wanted to. Not to say that that's how you would intend to, but so just the the idea of like how do you how do you deploy three hundred million dollars is a challenge. Um, and and uh, so maybe talk a little bit about like. A, where are things at right now? And like, where do you want it to be in the future? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I and I do think in, in stages, our, our plan is is being uh, activated in stages. And so yeah. the, the biggest portion is, is maybe you can imagine, maybe others are, you know, who are, who are still uh, early in their journey in, in terms of learning the various pieces of investment strategy or you know what is asset allocation so the the first biggest portion is going to um public security so 
in the simplest sense, like stocks and, and bonds. Um, and that's namely because for the kind of returns that we can get um, and the risk that we have to take in investing that money, it sort of it, it makes a sense, it makes the most sense right now. And it gives us flexibility because it's it's what we call more liquid in that it can be converted into cash fairly easily, um, which is important because we need to be coming out of our investments to be able to fund the grant making. So there's a there's a fairly large portion that's going to public securities um, that RBC Capital Markets will be will be leading on. But the 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 sort of exciting innovation there is. We're making use of gender data by one of the leading providers of such data. It's called the, it's a firm called Equally, mm-hmm. um, who is is the first and probably one of the the largest providers of gender specific d- data. This is all that they do. Um, there are other providers of gender data out there, sort of the big data analytics companies. But to have a firm that is firmly focused on this issue. Um, that created a, nine, a, a very comprehensive 19-point scorecard across the whole spectrum. Um, because one of the one of the early forms of gender data-based public securities funds, public markets funds, was really focused on women in leadership. So uh, representation of women by women on boards or at executive leadership levels, which has an impact, but is certainly not the full spectrum of gender equality. And so Equileap sure. Scorecard does also take um, representation of women on, on the workforce into consideration, but also things like, you know, do the, do the companies have policies uh, specifically focused on gender equality, diversity and inclusion, what's happening in the supply chain? Um, have there been any controversies that the the firms have experienced in terms of their their treatment of women and girls um you know it's it's not um you know it's not the answer to all of our problems certainly this is an ongoing process um and we need to continue to take a look at you know how are companies and their activities and behaviors impacting women and girls what are the different areas that we should be looking at and the different metrics that correlate, you know, with good or, or, or bad behavior. Um, but it's a really, really strong starting point. So that's, that's what we're working towards. Um, so fairly, fairly large uh, allocation, large portion of that 300 million will be going towards that. But we've earmarked, um, we've earmarked capital for uh, private debt, which is essentially lending money um, in private markets where there's no, um, it's not on a stock exchange, it's not, you know, publicly tradable or, or easily exchangeable. So it's less liquid, but um, uh, what we, we and other impact investors are, are feeling like there, there is a greater opportunity for uh, positive impact in the private market space. Um, and so we're working with a very established impact investing firm that's based in the U.S. called Calvert Impact Capital, which then gives us more confidence around the kind of returns that we can get from that and their impact track record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the 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 sort of most nascent piece that 
you know, sort of noodles at the back of my mind, because this was this was also my my bra- my background is uh, an allocation, a portion of the investment portfolio that will go to gender lens, private equity and, and venture capital funds. Um, and, you know, it's a growing it's a growing space. So there's certainly a number of different organizations that are studying and, and mapping the landscape of gender lens funds or funds led by women or diverse managers and the kind of gender lens that is incorporated in them. Project SAGE, which um, uh, the the third annual um, edition of that research from Wharton Social Impact uh, was actually just published last week or a couple of weeks ago, um, ju- like early July, late June, 2020. And the space has grown significantly. Um, so the the last numbers that I got from 2018 was there's about $2.4, $2.5 billion that's allocated globally to gender lens private markets funds. Um, I'll have to take a look at the project stage numbers, but it's, you know, the, the multiplier has been significant just in the past year because there's so much attention to it. Um, and I think, I think the landscape is shifting. It's that whereby there's more support for women-led, you know, women-led funds, funds led by a more diverse group of fund managers, funds with a gender lens, you know, geographically things are shifting. Um, and, you know, I think with, with the accumulation of issues that have sort of come to the world stage, you know, the Me Too movement, you know, even the, the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has, has, on, has had on women, people are starting to pay more attention and there are more supports and there are more women managers, managers in general that are paying attention to the fact that gender equality is a big driver of change, you know, full stop. It's intersectional. Like it's not, it's not a siloed issue. Um, advancing, advancing gender equality makes societies more equal and more fair for everyone. It has climate impacts. It has impacts on the care economy and, and health and well-being. And so I think, you know, both on the fund manager side, organizations that are supporting these new funds emerging, as well as investors are all paying more attention. Um, so the space is certainly growing. And so I, th- I think, you know, it, it's still you know, probably at least a couple of years off before we'll be in a position to allocate and activate that part of our, our strategy. But by then, you know, the, the, the number of opportunities, um, I think will be vast. And I think in, instead I'm going to have the challenge of how do we, how do we work through and vet and evaluate these opportunities? How do we prioritize, you know, even those decisions around, um, geographical spread, like how much of the money would we be investing in, say, North American-based funds versus globally elsewhere. You know, certainly there's a lot of, um, there's a really strong desire for us to be funding funds in the global south to, to help create this, you know, sort of virtuous circle and, and local investment ecosystem. Um, but, you know, I, I have I have some time to, you know, start 
that planning and, and you know, thinking out how we're going to execute on that. So I'm really excited about that. I'm a little bit daunted. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot to do, but I think it's, you know, we're doing this in stages. So we actually have that firm grounding to build all this out. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, 100% it's due. There's a lot that you're breaking ground on as an organization. Um, and to throw so, in a little bit of investment speak, right? Like I've kind of glossed yeah. over it, but, you know, there's, there's, there are, yes, we have this big, bold vision, but there are these, you know, we're, we're taking the best from sort of traditional investment practices, right? So there is an asset allocation strategy. You know, we're thinking about how much do we allocate to fixed income, you know, public equities, private debt, private equities, how do we balance um, achieving our impact goals with, and, and those objectives with risk, with liquidity? Um, it's quite a big complex puzzle, um, but these are all different. These are all the, the factors that have fed into um, the crafting of our investment strategy. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, so at, at its core, you've got this three hundred million dollars, and your fiduciary obligation here is to is to obviously impact and improve the lives of vulnerable women and girls, but prudently manage the assets in a way that this can continue to sustain itself and deliver impact. I mean, maximizing impact is about the ability to continue to fund that impact, and if you were to, you know make investments that didn't pan out and, and the, and the assets go away, you can't continue to support the amazing, you know, granting that's being done. And so I'm, I'm curious how over time you'll think about, and you may not have an answer to this question yet, but if you've got thoughts on, it, I'd love to hear it. And it gets back to this kind of bringing together different worlds, but ostensibly you're going to be in a position where you're going to need to be able to figure out whether, um, you know, an impact investment, let's say, let's say you get to the point where you're funding businesses on the ground in the global South run by women, uh, putting capital directly into their hands that are solving problems in their communities versus grant grant making. And, and which one overall kind of net net is, is doing more to advance the lives of vulnerable women and girls, because the granting dollars potentially are, are, are more impactful. But if the investment becomes impactful enough, the fact that it's returning that capital and generating a positive return and, and quantifying all of that is just so difficult. Um, you know, if, if the goal is to use the money to make the most impact and to do it in a sustainable way, it, it's, you know, I, I think you know where I'm coming from. It's just, it's going to be hard to figure out where the best dollar of impact is you know, uh, allocated. Yeah. And like part of me, I have I have a math background, um, and you know, it, it's not an exact science trying to put numbers no, to the impact that we're trying to achieve, right? This is this is want it to be, but it, <laughs> and 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 being a mathy, like I can totally see how our current systems were designed to try to be a proxy for you know, are these dollars best spent over here? Like we've got these models already in terms of how to prioritize. They're very financially driven um, and they're really simple, right? Because we don't include all impacts, especially indirect impacts. Like they're not 
they're not counted in our current systems. But, you know, I think that is shifting in part because of um, this movement towards utilizing ESG data, climate data, gender data. It's all sending a signal to say, like, we should be counting other things in addition to, or maybe in some cases challenging what we're counting at the moment. You know, let's bring you using, using my financial speak, right? Like let, let's bring some of these things that are off balance sheet back onto balance sheet. Like, and so I, you know, again, we're not going to do this on our own, but I, I, I do think there is a, um, a sort of recognition around shifting our measurement systems, like how we count things, also being mindful and and cautious around what we can or can't put a number to. Um, And I think we all need to be really honest with ourselves around that shift, Mm -hmm. right? Because we have these very embedded systems around you know, here's where the money is coming from. These are the sources that we're used to, um, to suddenly introducing a different kind of source. And, you know, you know, and I ideally, yeah, maybe one day we won't need to be making grants in certain areas because those won't be the challenges that people are experiencing. Ideally, there's a lot of trust and we just, we, we, you know, to Beth's point earlier, having that open dialogue and, and trusting these organizations on the ground to say, okay, you know what, actually we're good here. Here are our challenges and then it'll, it'll shift. Mm-hmm. But to try to connect the two and say, okay, we're going to fund, um, we're going to invest in these funds that are funding these businesses and this local investment ecosystem that will hopefully circumvent some of the problems that you're experiencing right now, such that, we can one day turn off the tap on the grant making over here mm-hmm. requires some, some great mindfulness and attention to, to an understanding of those money flows. And ideally like those decisions are, you know, in the hands of the people on the ground, you know, ex- this is, like this is their lived experience. So it's a, it's a pretty, it's a tall order, but I'm optimistic and I wouldn't be doing this work if I didn't think it was possible. And just if, if I can, I think one of our, our our hopes and dreams is that we act a bit like the the, the ripple in the water, that, that it's not just us doing some of these things, right? That if we can move forward on this proof of concept, if we can document, just like we, we're, we're taking the philanthropists on these journeys, if we can take other bilateral um, aid organizations on this journey, if we can take other investments that, so it, that other people will, will buy into this model. And we often talk about a, a, a feminist funding ecosystem, Right. Can we just make that ecosystem really grow and be much more diverse and vital and and active um, so that then the question is not that we only have two dollars and do where do we put our two dollars, but that we have two thousand dollars or two million dollars. And where and, and so then there's we move away from the scarcity that it has to be either this or that but that we can do a multiple of, of things. That's, this is one of the exciting things. Can we, can we grow this overall 
overall pie, this overall um, amount that we're, we're talking about to fund these kinds of things, given what Bonnie was saying, given how everything's interconnected and we're not just looking at funding something really narrow, but that this really is a multiplier when you, when you look at it. Yeah. And, I mean, and, I, and I think in systems, but I also can't help but, you know, pay attention to um, data points of one, two, like, because, you know, we, we start with, with these things that we can wrap our heads around and it like I've, I've experienced change. I've experienced shifts. And so then this is like, I know this is possible because my, my parents, you know, they, they immigrated to Canada in the late sixties, barely speaking the language, maybe $500 to their name. And, you know, through, through access to different resources, from everything as basic to having a safe place to live, access to healthcare and education for their kids. My experience and my, my sister's experience of, of life is so different from what my parents experienced. Like we have choices. We, but, but, but it did start with having access to resources in the first instance. Um, But also, also, (laughs) Um, credit to my parents for taking this ridiculous risk and immigrating to a country where you know they 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 had no no safety net really um, in terms of like a network of friends and and um, all the other resources that I benefit from now. So it's and even in my and anyhow that's it's very ingrained in me because I, I keep. You know, I keep doing different things. I kind of build on what I knew to begin with, but I I thrust myself into different situations. I pay very close attention to how access to resources really shifts things for people. Um, you know, I'm I'm a single data point in a system, um, and so I try to I, I try to bring that kind of mindset to to what we're doing, right? So how do we how do we improve access to resources? We at the Equality Fund, we have, you know, two if not three sources through through grant making streams, through investment and philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, in the interest of time, I'm going to think carefully about my next uh, questions because I could talk to you guys all day. Um, on the, I guess specifically, just kind of rounding off on the investment side, is there are there these are actually related. I mean, I think part of the mission, if I understand it right, is to crowd in other sources of um, capital, other investors. And so do you kind of, what is the strategy on, on, on that side um, in terms of like, do you see that only being institutional investors? Do you ever see potentially creating a retail investment product? Um, what is the thought process on? Yeah, right now the, the plan um, what's written in our plan is focusing on institutional investors in Canada and the U.S. and and possibly globally. But when I take a look at who's in our our collective, um, we already have a number of um, foundations and uh, high net worth individuals that are interested in um, in what we're doing and you know shifting part of their investment portfolio to to um, you know having this gender lens or gender backed. Uh, investment um, opportunities. It it doesn't escape me to think about um, 
a more accessible retail investment um, and, and the role that the Equality Fund could play in, in seeding something like that, because it comes up a lot. I get asked about it a lot in mm-hmm. all my travels, even, even you know, before joining the Equality Fund. Um, that will take a little bit more, more work and planning to figure out what, and, and some validation just to, to get a better understanding of who can we best serve? Who wants this? What is it that they're looking for? What, what are the critical issues? Um, and then, you know, how do we create a, create that to serve that need? Well, I mean, speaking on my, on my own behalf and, and and kind wealth, I mean, the the challenge in the space right now is the you know there's very few investment products or solutions that uh, take a I think have a real meaningful gender lens to them in Canada. Um, so most of them are these kind of women in leadership ETFs where you've got you know you have to have at least one woman on the board or some. I don't know, uh, token kind of measure like that. And uh, there was a, a, a product evolve, uh, evolve, which is an ETF provider had uh, a gender equality ETF that ended up sadly shutting down. They couldn't, it was using Equileap scorecard. Um, yes. It was kind of a North American focused uh, ETF and they shut down earlier this year, I believe, um, or late last year after not being able to attract uh, enough assets and uh and that's a shame I, I feel like maybe partly they were too early maybe they didn't have a particularly you know a strong enough kind of uh, marketing uh budget uh uh for rolling something like that out but it, it it if you want to as an individual if you wanted to have a portfolio you know that that uh yeah that, that kind of expressed a, a a robust gender lens you'd be hard pressed to to find it right now and especially given that you know something like what you're talking about would have over time you know a growing element of private debt and private equity involved in it it would be a really neat kind of one stops kind of solution for you know a, a, to be able to affect gender equality through your investment portfolio. So anyway, uh, you've got to vote for me. <laughs> yeah, it's an evolving space. And, you know, candidly, like I, you know, I, I noticed, um, and I know you did too, uh, Rally Assets came out with a couple of Im- impact, not gender specific, but impact funds. Yeah. Uh, theirs were just for institutional investors. Right. And then I think in the same period, um, NEI came out with a new um, impact fixed income ETF that, that is available to retail investors. And so, you know, it's interesting to see these new products emerge and, you know, we can definitely learn from that, sort of see what the take up is like, what the appetite is like, um, and apply those lessons to, to what we're doing as we build out the, the gender lens products. But yeah, it's certainly on my mind. Um, And, you know, I, I'd like to think that we, we have the wherewithal to to drive some of those conversations and, and innovation and hopefully make it more mainstream, make it more accessible to more investors. Yeah. Well, with RBC in, in the mix and iShares, if maybe they can turn the, you know, just essentially create a, <laughs> an ETF or a fund that kind of clones the, what they're doing and managing on your behalf. So. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Beth, did you want to add anything else on the kind of crowding in capital or, or even by the way, the kind of um, the traditional, we touched on it earlier, so you don't kind of need to elaborate on it, but on the, the traditional kind of charitable fundraising side of things. 
just to say that there there is super super anecdotally right when we start talking about the equality fund even to people at global affairs canada or or uh, colleagues people say well can i move my rrsp to this yeah. um as well or my resp even even you know for small uh, small investors so i think that could be a way of people um aligning their values with with their investment because as you say now there's there's not lots and lots of options for people to pick from so it is something that we have heard from from very from um people average average people who care about the world of how they can how they can do some of this uh yeah i i mean i i, I think so um uh last question does if, if somebody wants to support the equality fund right now how can they do that yeah if our they, website is yeah. go, go ahead bonnie sorry no, i think beth was going to say this, i was going to say exactly the same thing so um our website is equalityfund.ca and there are opportunities to donate um, at the moment. Okay, great. So if they go on, they can make a donation electronically through the through the fund through yeah. the website. Sorry, I'll provide and, that and, link in the show notes. And this. certainly, if there are any investors, sort of that institutional level, foundations, um, accredited investors that want to find out more about what we're building on the investment side and how they can invest, like the Equality Fund. Um, or with us in these products, then um, visiting the website as well would be an opportunity to get in touch with us. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure. We also have, help. yes, and we have a newsletter that people can sign up for so that they can, you know, follow along with us, learn about what we're doing. Uh, we welcome input, feedback. Um, we're really, really about the conversation as well. Awesome. Well, listen, I want to thank you both for taking the time to join and share more about what's going on there. I'm really looking forward to following the, continuing to follow the journey and uh, watch as you continue to break new ground. So um, yeah, I'm cheering for you and uh, we'll have to have you on back on in, in another year or so from now, a year or two from now and get, uh, you know, learn about all the, the other kind of goodness that's been done. Thanks so much, Dave. Best of luck to you and kind wealth as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd be incredibly grateful if you left a review on iTunes. And uh, heads up, we're now available on most audio platforms, which includes iTunes, but also Spotify, Google, Overcast, you name it. And also can now use Siri to listen to the podcast by saying, hey, Siri, play the Impact Investing Podcast. Here's to the Impact Investing Podcast. Yeah, just like that. You're listening.